Welcome to what would usually be this week's My Why, where I read my blog to you as an audio version. But today, I've got an episode with a difference, because I'm going to catch up with a previous Silent Why guest. Chris and I interviewed Katie Joy Duke in episode 25 of the podcast, Loss 18, Loss of a Full-Term Baby, where Katie shared her story about the death of her daughter Poppy on the day she was due to give birth. Sadly, four days before we released her episode, Katie was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic breast cancer. So I wanted to catch up with her to find out how these new losses and what she was going through compared to the losses she'd had in the past. In this conversation, we chat cancer, chemo, Uncle Fester, false eyebrows, staying healthy, sharing this kind of information with others, physical losses versus bereavements, and much more. I started by chatting to Katie about the day her episode of the Silent Why podcast went live, because she'd fed back to me that she'd had a strong reaction to something she'd said during the interview. For context, when Chris had asked her during our chat if she'd have listened when pregnant, if others had warned her about the chance of her baby dying, she'd replied with this. I think they probably did tell us. I think that there's a sort of understanding that pregnancy and childbirth is the most vulnerable time in a woman's life. I probably would have gone, yeah, but not mine, but not me, right? I mean, in the same vein that we're like, oh, well, everyone else gets cancer, but not me. Or everyone else is like, I'm going to ski down this hill, but I'm not going to break my leg. I don't know that would have necessarily changed anything. So I kicked off by asking her to describe how she'd reacted to hearing her say the word cancer, having just been diagnosed with it a few days before. Yeah, I was sitting on the couch. Um, I was so excited to listen all the way through the podcast. And because I'm, I'm also one of those people that learns when I hear myself speak. And so whenever I do a podcast or something like that, I absolutely listen to it. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, I really like how I said that or like that I was really processing in that way. And then I got to that part of the podcast. And I just couldn't believe I heard those words come out of my mouth that, you know, you don't think it's going to happen to you. Like cancer. Like I just like threw that out there. Like, let me just pick a random thing out of a hat. And yes, I had had my first ever mammogram on March 14th. And um, because I had felt a lump in my left breast and it was a crazy whirlwind of back to back to back to back appointments. And then on that Friday, March 18th, my cancer was confirmed on pathology from a biopsy that I'd had the day before. So sitting on that couch, listening to the podcast, which I believe came out on the 22nd, like four days later, right? Like I'm like, yay, my podcast comes out. And I, I am literally in the muck, you know, I'm, I'm like, like the, the tar is like, <laughs> I'm frozen in my cancer diagnosis of just this intensity of everything. And then I hear myself say those words. So I mean, yeah, I was nuts. I I hit pause and I burst into tears and, and my husband came rushing to my side and was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know, because at that point we were all on high alert. Like, what's going on? And I was just like, I said that I said, I'm like, I don't know. I said, you don't think you're going to get cancer. And I got, I have cancer. And which was, I mean, it was just nuts. And then also to think back to our actual interview, which was, I believe, the beginning of January when we actually did the interview. I mean, the cancer was already in me, right? Like, so even then, like I was sitting there and I didn't know that, that my body was, was fighting this thing, you know, this invader that was uninvited. And so intense, I think is the best way to say, it's just that realization, like you said, that we don't know what's coming and, you know, not to be cliche or glib, but it really does make the present moment that much more precious because we, we just to take this day, even today, you know, to take this day and be grateful for it. 
I couldn't believe it because we'd spoken to you about such a deep loss and something that you know was gonna I knew was gonna impact a lot of people because you know death of a baby is always gonna be something that really affects people. Oh yeah. But then to watch one of your guests that you've just spoken to about this huge grief go through a completely different one on one level, obviously horrific. But then I'm like, okay, well, I, I really want to speak to you again because yeah. this is a different set of losses. Completely. This is very different. Um, this is physical. Yeah. This is emotional. This is spiritual. This is so. What does it look like? And I know that part of what it looks like for you is very cool earrings and a kind of a bald chick look. Yes. Oh my God, I am rocking it. People do not think that I'm sick, which is awesome. Like out in the world, you know, I'm not carrying myself in that way. I don't really feel sick. I don't really, I definitely don't look sick and I am still trying to put myself together. But yeah, I I have found out (laughs) through this process that I, quote unquote, have a very nice shaped head. You do. Um, (laughs) But you know, you've got a good shaped head. I do have a good shaped head. I've had, I've had many, many conversations with mostly men about being bald because mostly men are bald. Oh, yeah. um, and people are like, they're like, yeah, what's up? You look amazing. You know, people are like, really, men are really into it. But then women are just like, you know, they lower their voices a little bit and they're like, you look amazing. <laughs> they, they're just like, you look incredible. And then I'm just like, well, thank you. I, I said, you know, and then I, I'm like, I, I do have cancer. I do have breast cancer. And then people are like, no. Because everyone thinks this is a fashion statement, right? Which is really fun. I mean, I I have a four and a half year old daughter named Moxie, and we were driving home from Target, and she said this to me once before. And yesterday, she was just like, "Mommy, I really don't ever want you to grow your hair back." Oh. And I was like, "Really, sweetheart? What is it about it?" She's like, "You just look better without hair." It was just the sweetest thing. So I'm like, "Okay, babe, cool." Like. I don't know how long it's going to take me to grow back any hair. So knowing that you think that I look the most amazing bald is incredible. How have you navigated that with with a child that age? Because that's obviously quite a big thing to see happen. It's been fascinating, actually. One of the first things I did after getting diagnosed with cancer was check out a book at the library called um, Cancer in Our Family, which was written by the American Cancer Society. And I, I thumbed through it. And it was, that's sort of like intuitively one of the things I do. I immediately go and I try to find the book, like where, what are the books that are going to help me get through this? Cause that's, I'm a reader and I'm a writer and author obviously. And so, and I, and I thumbed through it. And then because of our previous loss with my daughter, Poppy, ever since Moxie was born, I mean, brand new baby. I mean, even in utero, like she, if we can transfer that kind of energy or she could know who Poppy was, like I've been telling Moxie about Poppy forever. And so she's known about our loss. She knows I wrote a book about it. She knows she has a big sister who passed away. She also knows her grandfather passed away. Moxie knows more about death than the average human, much less the average four and a half year old. But that being said, When I was diagnosed with cancer, um, we immediately started talking to her about it immediately because I mean, I, I was, I was a mess. I was a complete wreck that first week of just trying to process and understand what this meant for my life. And also because at that beginning, there's still so many diagnostic things that have to happen to even know like what stage you are, like, has it, has it metastasized? You know, what's the treatment plan? We didn't know anything. So we immediately started talking to to her about it. And we also talked to her school teachers about it. She was in preschool for nine hours a week. And then immediately, all of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh, I need, I need help. I need childcare. I have all these crazy appointments. So what I did not know at the time was that the woman who um, founded and has run her preschool for 35 years now also had breast cancer 16 years ago and lost her hair and she had a mastectomy and 
So she has been this incredible resource to help normalize what I have been going through. And she empowered Moxie to talk about it. And there were days when she would send me an email and say, Hey, Katie, I just want to let you know that Moxie was talking about you on the playground today, talking about how her mommy has cancer. And I want to let you know that not only did she seem like so confident and like assured of herself, but um, I would walk over and facilitate and ask all the kids like, Hey, does anybody have any questions? Like, let's talk about this. I had cancer too. Like, does any, has anyone else had anyone in their family that's had cancer? So what a blessing. Mm. Um, and her name is Mary and Miss Mary, I love you. Cause I know you're going to listen to this podcast. Yeah. That has been incredible. And Moxie is super empowered by it. Some of her friends are like, why don't you have hair anymore? And, and Moxie will say, because my mommy has cancer and the medicine that she gets called chemotherapy makes her hair fall out. And, you know, children will mirror and, and mimic whatever you tell them. And she's been doing great. I love that kids will ask those questions as well. They're just so out there yes. with it. Like they see it and they want to know why. Oh, for sure. Mm. I was at a, um, a splash pad the other day with Moxie. One of those little like, you know, playgrounds where the water fountains are all designed, you know, and kids are all running around. And I had a hat on and I was in my swimsuit and I was playing around. And this one little kid, he he was underneath me, of course, because he's short and I'm tall. And he, he's looking up at me and he, his forehead bunched up and he looked up at me like, something's going on there. And I had these really cool, gigantic strawberry earrings on. And I was like, were you looking at my earrings? And he was like, uh, yeah, I'm looking at your earrings. And I was like, do you want to bite one? Cause they were strawberries. It's a joke. They're really great earrings. And he was like, no, thank you. And I was like, okay. And then later on, like 20 minutes later, he, he comes back up to me again. He goes, will you take off your hat? Oh. And I said, totally. So I took off my hat and his eyeballs like <laughs> got gigantic and, and, uh, and it was just funny because I realized, oh, the first time he wasn't looking at my strawberry earrings, he, he was really curious. He was like, I don't think she has hair under there. And so it's been, it's been really cool. Um, children are, and actually I did tell him, I was like, yeah. And he, he was like, what happened to your hair? And I was like, I have cancer and my medicine makes my hair fall out. And I was like, Do you, and, he, and the look on his face of, he was, he, he really, he was just like, oh. And I mean, he was maybe seven years old, eight years old, but you can tell, I mean, kids these days, they've been through it. They, they know, like maybe grandma had cancer or somebody, you know, and I asked him, I said, has anybody in your family had cancer? And he just kind of nodded his head. Yes. And I was like, it's okay, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get through this, but thank you. You know, I just, it's, it's been really, it's been really sweet. I think what's a really interesting distinction here is that no one saw my loss with Poppy. Hmm. You know, like I was out in the world again and having to figure out how to function in the world as a mother with empty arms and no one, that little boy wouldn't have looked at me one way or the other. He wouldn't have known that I'd lost my child because it wasn't obvious, but this loss is, is obvious, you know, unless someone thinks I'm just rocking a fashion statement and then I tell them that, you know, I'm going through cancer, but like this illness, quote unquote, or disease, whatever is obvious to the world. And so it's facilitating my ability to talk about it in a way very openly. Plus, I don't hide anything. (laughs) I'm just a very open person. And this is making me more open. What's bizarre about it is that this has actually been one of the most mind-blowing spiritual experiences ever, this cancer. Why? What makes it more spiritual than previous losses? Well, yeah, actually, and, and I was thinking about this too in anticipation of our uh, conversation, is that the thing that I have lost most 
in this whole process is my fear of death. Interesting. Because for a lot of people, that would be something that would appear, possibly. And it did. I mean, the fear, you know, the realization of my mortality. I mean, because in my case, again, having had a stillborn daughter that I that I birthed and was able to spend some time with, I've held death in my arms. I've been that close to death. And most of us, of course, have, I mean, I'm 41, so any 41-year-old has, has had someone close to them die. And, but, you know, have we been there? Have we been there when that person died? Have we held them in their death? Have it, so, so most people, I would think, no. And yet with me and being with Poppy in that position, like I have, I have held death. I have been that close to it. And then when my dad passed away three and a half years later, I mean, he's my dad. He was my bestie. Like, so that passing was intense. And so I've written a memoir and in the memoir, I go through my sort of journey of, of grief and discovery and understanding about death and life and love from both Poppy and my dad. And one of the things that I have intuited and sort of come to accept, and it's a, it's a common belief, but that, that Poppy and my dad are together in heaven. It's somewhere heaven with a lowercase H or capital. I don't know. doesn't matter. Right. But there's somewhere else. They're on the other side. And when I got my diagnosis that I had stage four metastatic breast cancer, when that MRI came back and the doctor told me that there was also cancer in my sternum, although it is treatable and we are treating it as if it is curable, I had to face the reality that like I have, I have stage four anything, right? Like it's like, it's, it's big. And so my own mortality in a way that it never has before was something that I really had to confront. And in doing that, I, for the first time, truly allowed myself to imagine my own transition from life to whatever comes next. And when I did that, I realized that if Poppy and my dad are together, that means that when I die, I get to join them as well. And when I had that, oh my gosh, when I had that realization, I was just like, okay. All right. All right. Let's do it. I'm not afraid of this cancer. I'm not afraid of what is to come. My body is responding really well to the treatments, which is very encouraging. But yeah, if they all get to be together, then I get to go be with them. And so now I don't want to leave people behind. Like I'm not like excited to go. I I don't want it to be for another 40 years. Right. And then I would like to peacefully drift off in my sleep. (laughs) That's the dream. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Reading a fascinating memoir about someone else or sipping on a glass of red wine, looking at a sunset and being like, it's time. I just closed my eyes and drift off. Right. Okay. That's, that's how all I would like to go. Right. So, So if it's been the best spiritual experience, what about the physical? Cause I'm guessing the physical experience has been pretty rough and very different because obviously there would have been physical implications of going through the grief of losing poppy as well yeah but very different so what's that been like well um yes physically i have lost most of the hair on my body that the only hair that's really remaining on my body is are a few eyebrows which i pencil in (laughs) very well (laughs) thank you i know i think about my girlfriend who told me about this eyebrow pencil and i just i'm just every day every morning i'm like i love you rachel like thank thank you for (laughs) and in fact my friend emma she's 
has sent me a link to like a variety pack of temporary eyebrows, which you can buy. And at some point, you know, knowing me, I'm going to buy those things. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to rock them. And I'm going to I'm going to be like, today, I'm feeling ambivalent. And <laughs> today, I'm feeling angry. Today. I'm suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I love gonna, that idea. I'm going to rock the temporary eyebrows. But you should do that. A few mascara. I, you know, I've got a few eyelashes remaining that I'm holding on to. Okay, the hair loss process was intense, and I, I made, I had fun with it. I, I dyed, I bleached my hair, and then I dyed it hot pink, and then I shaved a really, really, really cool hot pink mohawk. You did really I, rock that. That I was envious of that. <laughs> I know. I, I want everyone to be able to. You could do it, Claire. There's, oh, I, I mean, I'm, this is this is actually something like for your audience. It's just like you could do it. Yeah. You know what I mean, like you could have a hot pink mohawk. It's a shame that we need these experiences to go that yes. far with just having fun. Yes. Well, and that's the thing, the creativity. I told someone the other day, I said, the wellspring of creativity that is coming out of me is just extraordinary. I was like, I don't really know where it's come from, coming from. I mean, like, it could be just this sense of like, no holds barred. I'm like, it could be all the steroids <laughs> that they're giving me. <laughs> because go with they it. Are good. I'm going with it. I tell you what, I understand why people use steroids now because I'm like, like they, they work. Um, but I mean, so I've lost physically. I, for two months, I took a chemotherapy drug called adromycin, which they call the red devil. Mm. And they call it the red devil for a reason because it makes you feel really awful. And that was rough, but you know, but it's over. Like I'm, I'm, I, I'm through that, right? Like I think that, Another sort of, you know, higher level, but also very simplistic philosophy is like, this too shall pass. This is temporary. Like nothing is permanent. Right now, my mouth is riddled with sores. The inside of my mouth feels about two and a half times larger than it should, meaning that like my cheeks are in the way, my tongue is in the way, my my teeth are biting, like, and I can't do anything about it. My white blood cell count is super low, but doable you know like i mean i'm fine <laughs> it's funny because like people are like how are you and i'm like well, i mean i'm okay like i'm fine i'm like do you really want to know so and i'm honest with people like i share those those details i've got blisters all over my hands my skin has been really reacting to this new chemo that i'm on called taxol so we're actually thinking we're gonna have to change it because i'm like super itchy and and irritated like my skin started bleeding the other day when I was rubbing it in bed it's just like I just rubbed off the top surface of my skin that was traumatic I was just laying there reading something on my cell phone and I had what felt like an itch or I don't know anyways I started scratching and then my fingers were wet and I was like I just had that moment of like wait why are your fingers wet and I looked down and there was blood on my fingers and I I'm vain. I mean, let's be real. I'm, I care about what I look like. I take really good care of myself in general. And I saw blood on my fingers and I looked down and my, my chest was bleeding. And I was just like, like, golly, this sucks. Like, this is hard. Like, when we spoke to you in the first podcast, one of the questions we asked everyone is, have you asked the question why? And I remember you saying that you had this image of you standing in the middle of a field, shaking your fist at the sky going, why? But you never actually did that. It never actually got to that point. Has that changed now? I think I know why. Intuitively, I feel like I got this cancer because of the deeply traumatic things I've been through. And I don't know. I don't know if there's science behind that. I haven't 
had the time to find and dive and find the books that say that that's, you know, that there are links. But to me, if we all have cancer cells in our body and just some of us get cancer and some of us don't, you know, if our lymphatic system at some point is just like, I can't deal anymore, you know, and cancer gets through, like, which in, in my case it has, there's got to be a reason, right? Like, I was sort of the picture of health. If, you, if if someone had just seen me, right, like, if you know, judge a book by its cover, if you just looked from at me from the outside, you would have thought, wow, like, she's healthy. And I was. And I said that to so many doctors sitting in their offices as I was getting consults and all this stuff. It's like, man, it sure does pay to be really healthy when you get really sick. Because not a single doctor said that I had to change anything about my lifestyle since getting diagnosed with cancer. I mean, even one sweet, I just, I will always remember this gentleman. He was so kind. Dr. Bird was his name. And he looked at me and he's like, I'm not going to ask you if you exercise. I'm going to ask you what you do for exercise. And I was just like, oh, shucks. (laughs) You know, thanks. Like, because he's like, it's obvious you take care of yourself. So, um, have I shaken my fist? I mean, again, no, I will say this. I was on the phone with my oncologist when she called to give me the results of the MRI because it came back and she was explaining, she's like, so there is some cancer on your sternum and I'm listening and I'm trying to absorb all this. And I mean, I hear that, but I don't really know what it means. And then we kind of got to some point in the conversation and she said, do you have any questions? And I said, well, well, yeah, I do. I was like, well, what, what stage is it? Right. Like I just, I wanted to know, like, what does this mean? And she kind of took a deep breath and she was like, Katie, it, it, this is stage four. And I think for most of us at this point in our lives, we hear stage four and we think I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Like you just think, does that mean it's terminal? Does like, what are we, are we talking life expectancy now? Like, you know, and my, my dad died of cancer. So I know that at one point in his journey, he got to stage four and stage four meant that his prostate cancer had metastasized into his lymph nodes and had spread other places. Like it it was, there was no turning back at that point. And I'm like, well, wait, that's what I have. So when in that moment, when she explained that to me about my, my sternum, and being stage four, I had one of these sort of like <gasps> aha moments that I've had so many times and I write about in my book a lot, the sense of knowing. And the knowing was, I said to her, Dr. Johnston, I know why it's in my sternum. And she said, why? And I said, because my heart has been broken so many times. Oh. And that was her exact response. I mean, just human to human. And she's one of the most scientific, allopathic, like straightforward people I know. And she was just like, oh, Katie. And so, you know, I, again, I, I don't have this sort of why me about like, why did I get cancer? Now, have I felt sorry for myself many times in the last three months plus? I sure have. I have cried in my kitchen, like while I'm, you know, it's funny. I, I, I was going to say, you know, while I'm like doing these things alone, I've also put them on social media. So if anyone <laughs> wants to see, go visit Instagram. Because I I've got, I feel like I have to share this stuff. I'm, I mean, I use my humor and my wit to get me through. Laughter is the best medicine. I tell you what, I have been cracking people up these days. Like, I love it. You saw my Uncle Fester look alike. That was brilliant. <laughs> I, I was in my bathroom and I was just like, 
I kind of look like Uncle Fester. I took one picture on my cell phone. I took one selfie, Claire. That's how many I tried. I just took one and I looked at it and I was like, Nailed it. And then I went and I got a picture of Uncle Fester and I put them two to next to each other and like I applied one filter and I was like, done. And that thing, like people were losing their minds. And I have literally looked at that picture of myself so many times to lift me up. I think I'm funny, right? If I can make myself laugh, then that's all. I told my daughter that the other day. I was like, Moxie, people won't always laugh at you, but girl, if you think you're funny, that's really what matters. <laughs> like if you can laugh at yourself. Gives other people permission to laugh with you because people want to yes. laugh with you. But when you have cancer, it's one of those <sighs> things everybody suddenly thinks, well, we can't laugh anymore because this is so no. serious. If people are listening to this then and they're like, oh, poor girl. Like, you know, she's been yes. through, she's lost her daughter and now she's got cancer. What would you want them to know about your life right now if that's how they're thinking? Oh gosh, yeah, definitely. I, I I don't need anybody's pity. That's that's one of the things. So no pity, and I'll take your sympathy if you can't empathize. But I would prefer you to empathize. Yeah, nice. And um and <laughs> so I would love your empathy. I don't need your fear. Okay, so don't don't smear your fear on other people who are going through a hard time. Right. When I decided that I was going to share with the world that I had stage four breast cancer. It took me a while to process it on my own. I kept that very close to my chest. I told my immediate family, but no one else. And then finally, after I'd had a brain MRI that came back normal, and that was scary. And I I went into that appointment and I was like, I looked at the people. I was like, I do not have cancer in my brain. I was just like, this is not going to be. I was like, I might be crazy, but I am not. I do not have cancer in my brain. It's like. Seriously, y'all. I'm like, I'm just declaring it right now. Like, I am declaring it so. Like, I do not, like, my I, my head, I need my head. So, you know, I was thinking about not ever telling anybody I had stage four. And the, the reason I wasn't going to do that is because I didn't want to deal with everybody else's anxiety. I didn't want to deal with everybody else's fear. We do that a lot. We project our own fears onto other people when someone is going through something or something happens to someone. So I was like, you know what? Not only am I going to tell people what my stage is and all this stuff, because I want to be an example and I'm all about being honest and, and, and really saying it like it is. But more importantly, I, I wanted to also use it as an example to say, hey, I'm going through this and it would not help me right now if you got super scared for me. What I need from you is to show me love. What I need for you is to show me support. What I need from you is that lasagna on my front porch or that play date with my daughter while I have an appointment or to call my husband and check in on him and specifically ask how he is doing. Not how is Katie doing? How are you doing, Eli? Can we go for a walk? So I wanted to be really clear. And I learned all of these things because I've already been through grief one time. I know how to grieve now. I know how to deal with trauma. It's not easy, but I know how to ask for what I need and to find those moments to to really celebrate because we aren't (laughs) guaranteed anything. Never one to be kept down. Since her last episode aired, Katie's also launched her memoir, Still Breathing. And you can find links in the show notes for more information about that or listen to episode 25 of the podcast to hear Katie's full story with loss. Not all of us are going to respond to trauma in the way that Katie does because we're all unique. But what I love about her is her willingness and determination to be who she was made to be and her hunger to continually learn from others, from herself and from her grief. Plus, she is really rocking the bald chick look, as you'll see from today's episode image on social media. 
Thanks for joining me today. If you'd like to help support the show to help me continue to provide this resource for others going through loss, please visit the show notes or our website, thesilentwhy.com, and click on support. Support.